Um, the reading is from Proverbs 8, uh, verse 1a, and then 22 to 31. Wisdom's call. Does not wisdom call out? The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works, before his deeds of old. I was formed long, ages ago, at the very beginning when the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth. I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so that waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, and delighting in the human race. Okay, second reading is from John 1 to 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, Some of you will know that I spent most of the summer in Scotland. Um, But it was really lovely to be back worshipping with you all last Sunday. Um, I'm just going to grab my bottle of water, actually. It's that or the whiskey, which would be purely for medicinal purposes. But, uh, <coughs> so last Sunday was my first weekend in Bath since early July, and I particularly enjoyed singing The Lion and the Lamb. 
Um, two weeks ago, I sang at Aberfeldy Parish Church. Um, and I discovered afterwards it was the first time they'd ever sung it. And when I was singing it there, it really reminded me of St. Matt's. And when I was singing it here last Sunday, it really reminded me of Aberfeldy. But most of all, what it really reminded me was that God is the same wherever I am, wherever we are. It's the same God. It was really special to be back here last Sunday. It obviously went to my head. I obviously enjoyed it too much because I had a meeting with Tim on Monday, Monday lunchtime, and um, he was telling me, A, what a brilliant sermon series he and Jenny have planned for later in the autumn, and B, that he didn't have anybody to preach this Sunday. And I accidentally volunteered without quite realising what I was doing. Um, so that's why I'm here today. So I wasn't expecting it this time a week ago. <clears throat> Might not have sung with quite such gay abandon if I had known. Um, what I actually said was that I had preached at St. Thomas earlier in the year on a topic which related to his sermon series. And therefore, if he was really stuck, <laughs> um, it might be possible for me to revisit that topic. So I'm really sorry. I think there's about half a dozen people here who will have heard pretty much what I'm saying tonight before. I apologize. Um, But for most of you, I think, at least it will be the first time. So um, I've already discovered one problem with revisiting a sermon. And that is that the vicar nicks your very first joke because he's already heard it. So I was going to entertain you with how Tim tells us when we ask him what he's going to preach on, um, how he says Jesus in a silly voice, but there you go. And the point is, we don't just ask him to be annoying, we ask him because we think it might be helpful for the worship leaders to know what the topic is. So worship leaders, you know now that it's Jesus for the rest of the term, so you can start planning your songs already. What I can tell you, in lieu of the joke that I was going to make, is that it's got to the point now that when Tim says Jesus in a silly voice, Victoria gives him a look. And if he's really annoying and carries on doing it, she says, well, never mind, Tim, at least you have a lovely voice. (laughs) And then he generally stops fooling around. But they're not just going to be talking about Jesus. They're going to be talking about um, the different names and titles for Jesus. So through the term, we will be hoping to get to know Jesus a bit better as we think of the different um, ways he's described in the Bible. So this is a bit of a prequel to the series. And also because my original title for it was In the Beginning, Now and Forever, and that seems like quite a good sermon to have at the start of term. Um, And also because it's often a passage that we look at at Christmas, and Advent is just around the corner. So wrapping all those things together, Tim said, yes, you can do that sermon. So, um, I must say, when when I look at this passage, I am... slightly in awe of the fact that I could even have the nerve to speak on it because it is such an incredible passage. I feel, I felt before and I still feel like I'm on really holy ground. It is 
such an amazing passage, and I'm putting a caveat out there before I start. I do not pretend to fully understand all the depths of truth and wisdom and glory that are in this passage. What I'm sharing with you is just what it strikes me when I read it at this time in my life. This is what comes through to me in particular. I really felt that last hymn is absolutely true. Oh Lord, how I need you. Um, I don't have um, anything special but relying on the Lord when I come to the passage. This is how he has spoken to me over the last year and so I'm just sharing that with you now. So I think there are three pictures that John paints for us of Jesus in this passage and he's really grabbing his reader's attention right from the beginning. This is a book when you read the first line that you want to carry on with. So the three pictures are Jesus in the beginning, Jesus on earth and Jesus now and forever. So Jesus in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. Now, I must confess, I'm not very good at memorizing scripture, but even I find that those words hang in my head. My youngest daughter learned ancient Greek for a while at school, and early on in her lessons, having been taught the alphabet and some basic grammar and vocabulary, the class were given their first ever piece of ancient Greek to translate. She's here, so I'm being, trying to remember exactly what she said to me. In the beginning, she slowly worked out. Was the word. And suddenly, she, she got it, and away she flew. How on earth did you do that so quickly, said her friends when she put her hand up to ask the teacher to come and check it. How come you didn't recognize it, she said, which is ironic, really. The word John uses for Jesus, logos, which is translated word with a capital W in our Bibles spoke powerfully on many, many levels to his hearers, his readers. To the Jews, the word of God was the creative power of God. In the beginning, would immediately bring to mind Genesis. And the word God spoke to bring the whole universe in all its diversity into being. John is equating Jesus with the creative one God, Yahweh, before all things. Participating in creation, this is an active word. But to Greeks, Logos meant more of an idea, a plan, a vision, the underpinning principle of the universe, equally fundamental, but more of a 
being or a defining word. Now, John wrote his gospel in Greek, so he is drawing on both these ideas, the active word of God and the defining word of life, to help him describe the indescribable. So we learn from this very first sentence that God is not solitary, but relational, that the one God is more than one person. There is the Father, and there is the Son, and there is the relationship between them. But we also learn that the universe is not accidental. It is planned and created with delight, as we heard in the Proverbs passage, with wisdom through the word Jesus. So then... Jesus leaves this joyful communion with the Father and comes to earth. Why? And what was he like when he was on earth? When I was a young Christian, I was very moved by the anonymous piece of writing called The Long Silence. I don't have time to read it in its entirety now, but I recommend that you look it up online. In summary we see all the people who have ever lived seated at the end of time before God's throne, where some are arguing with God. Can God judge us? How can he know about suffering? Snaps a young woman. She rips open a sleeve to reveal a tattoo from a Nazi concentration camp. Elsewhere in the crowd, an African-American boy lowers his collar, showing an ugly rope burn, lynched for no crime but for being black. And so it goes on. What does God know of all the suffering that man has been forced to endure in this world? Each group, united by their particular pain or suffering, sends a representative to consult with the others and finally to present a case for God to answer. The case is simple. Before they accept God is qualified to judge them, he must endure what they have endured, be sentenced to live on earth as a man, born illegitimate, a Jew, with a task so difficult that even his family will think him out of his mind. He should be betrayed by his closest friends, face false charges, be tried by a prejudiced jury, tortured and convicted by a cowardly judge. Let him see what it means to be terribly alone. Then let him die with a host of witnesses to verify it. The crowd approves. When the last person finishes pronouncing sentence, there is a long silence. No one utters a word. No one moves. For suddenly, all know that God has already served his sentence.
But the point of this story is not that God came to earth to live and die as a man to give him the right to judge us. If the truth is told, he had that already. The crowd's mistake was to think that God was all about judgment. God's motivation was always love. He created us for relationship with him. And when we threw it away, he became one of us to recreate the possibility of that relationship. It's always been all about love. So, if Jesus came because God loved the world, what was the word made flesh like? Well, Jesus was relational. He chose 12 men to become his companions so he could teach them personally, individually. He had close friendships with others, women and men, and he was distressed when they were distressed and joyful when they were joyful. He taught about a God of love and a way of living that could be summed up as love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus was also wildly creative in spectacular and joyful ways. At the wedding at Cana, he created enough wine for an army. He created food at the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. He created stories to amuse entrance and illustrate deep truths. He created health and life through healings and restorations. He took fishermen and tax collectors and turned them into world-changing apostles and miracle workers. Jesus as a human had the same nature as God and people loved him. Admittedly, Not the self-righteous or the professionally religious, but ordinary, humble failures loved him, and he loved them. But that's not the end of it. Now I want to look at Jesus now and forever. So Jesus came to earth and died on the cross, but he didn't stay there. He rose again and he ascended into heaven where he is with his father. What difference does Jesus being alive make to us now? Well, John tells us that Jesus has shown us the glory of God as the father's only son. And Paul says in Colossians, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Before I knew Jesus, I found it impossible to conceive of a holy, all-powerful, all-knowing God who would actually want to have a relationship with me. But when I first started to look at Jesus, I began to understand how such a relationship is possible. And more, I wanted to see Jesus and be seen by him and to see the Father too. Because Jesus, God in flesh and bone, is the image of his Father, making the invisible not just visible, but approachable.
But John also tells us that all who believe in the word, that is Jesus, receive power to become children of God. What does that mean? Well, in Genesis, God says, let us make humankind in our own image, according to our likeness. And in Corinthians, we read, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. I think John is saying, because of Jesus, we are reborn, recreated in the image of God, able to live the sort of life he intended for us in relationship with him. But remember, God is creative as well as relational. I think God has created humans to be creative as well. Now, you may say, I understand about having a relationship with God, sort of, but I am not very creative. I can't paint or sing or whatever it is you think of when you say that word. And you might also say, if we're being completely honest, you even struggle with the relationship bit. Sometimes you feel like you don't really like people that much. Maybe you do, maybe that's just me. This isn't something that we have to struggle to achieve in our own strength. When we become Christians, Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit, who is God in us, to help us become more like him and more like God, who God created us to be. And actually, this congregational is both relational and creative. I remember a service we had in March when we looked at the different ways different people worship. John worships him playing sport. Amy worships him making pops. Tom works for social justice. Bill finds God in all the little moments of his day. Beth writes poetry. Other people give, make music. What was interesting was throughout all those testimonies, there was a common thread of creativity. And what was even more interesting was after the service, other people came to me and shared how they had been really encouraged to think about what they enjoyed doing, being the way God had made them to be. Actually, deep in their heart was their way of worshipping God. Being creative just means putting the best of yourself, being the person God has made you to be, into whatever you do. Another way of putting it, whatever your task, put yourselves into it as done for the Lord. We can study for the Lord. We can give for the Lord. We can do our job as well as we possibly can for the Lord. And if there's something wrong with your job, which means that you know the Lord would not take it as worship, then you need to change your job. We paint, we sing, we dance, we run, we live for the Lord, and we love other people for the Lord. And in that last one, we model Christ most closely because we're demonstrating God-centered relationship. That's why our parish strapline is finding family, creating community.
Now, I've covered a lot in quite a short time. Like I say, I look at this passage and I'm just blown away and I can't possibly plumb all its depths. I can just share some things that have stood out to me in the last year. I want to sum up. First of all, Jesus is in very nature God. Jesus, the Word, was with God and was God in the beginning. And what we see of God in the beginning is that there was relationship and creativity. Secondly, Jesus came to us fully human. The Word was made flesh. He did this to make his Father known to us. He came to make the invisible, not just visible, but approachable. And as we look at the different answers to the question, who is Jesus, this term, we hope to approach him more nearly, to see him more clearly, and to love him more dearly. Thirdly, Jesus came to make us children of God, to make us a new creation. And the children are to be like the Father, relational and creative, living the way God intended for us. I'd like to close with a poem written as a prayer by John Birch. From the very beginning was your word, which spoke this world into being. Your word, which thunders from the skies. Your word, which flows like mountain streams. Your word, which whispers in morning breeze. Your word revealed through kings and prophets. Your word revealed through angels' praise. Your word revealed in humble service. Your word revealed through a tiny child. Your word alive from the beginning of all things and to eternity. Amen.